again, the work isn't to jump away from the hardness of it to bypass to happy. The goal is to learn how can I lean into this so that I can grow, so that I can learn, so that I can do better. Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience? Too much yelling, not enough play? There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you. You feel like you're screwing everything up and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud. This podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Justine Sones. Justine is a writer and a stress management coach who loves drinking coffee, helping burnt-out humans set boundaries, and talking about things that hurt. During her career as a massage therapist, Justine's practice was dedicated to exploring the roles that stress, pain, and relaxation play in healing the physical body. She came to realize that the support her clients needed required more than a massage and made it her mission to help them. Justine now spends her time writing about feelings and coaching other overfunctioning humans to develop healthy boundaries and practice sustainable self-care as they navigate the messy intersections of partnering, parenting, preneuring, and pandemicking. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. I'm pretty sure I say that every single time, but this interview flowed so well between the most relatable epiphanies and growth journeys of motherhood into Justine's story that illustrates so well the way that our body tries to ask for help when and how we need to take care of ourselves so that we can be the best parent we can be. And she is an expert here. She shares so much wisdom towards the end about how what self-care is and what that looks like for us and that it's actually so accessible. And not only is it the actions that we can take, but sometimes it's just holding space to name our feelings and to ho- and to be able to explore that complexity with curiosity of the goods and the bads. And I honestly learned a lot through this conversation. I feel like it is something every mom can grow in this area. And she just has such a relatable way of sharing her story and you'll be able to see yourself in it. So without further ado, I will welcome on Justine. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman and on today's episode, I'm joined by Justine. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yay! I was told when I was connected with you that you are incredibly honest, so I am counting on that today. (laughs) Yes, yes. It used to be honest to a fault. I like to think that I have tempered the edge of my honesty sword, and now the words are delivered with more kindness than cutting edge. (laughs) 
Okay. I like that. <laughs> Personal growth. Yep. We yes. can all probably do better in that area. Yeah. No, but that is welcomed. Vulnerability is welcomed here. We are all commiserating together um, mm-hmm. about the way that we feel like we are failing and screwing this whole motherhood thing up. So have you ever felt like you were failing motherhood? Oh my goodness. When when I gave some thought to this question, I had to do more of like paring down the instances where I feel like I am failing in motherhood because it has just been a consistent delivery of like acknowledging the feeling of failure and reminding myself that it's actually just normal. Um, but some yes. of the like some of the biggest ways that that's showed up and caught me off guard is um the way that I manage my feelings have made me mm. feel like a failure at a mother being a mother um because i think i had these expectations that because of all the personal work i had done prior to having kids that i would like have the tools to be grounded and like meet them from a place of calm and then when i was actually in it um that was so much harder to do than i expected and so even now my kids are you know almost 6 and almost 4 and i still regularly run into incidences where it's just like shit I did not mean to react that way. And now I have to deal with the fact that I did again. Again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like there's the feeling of failing and then the feeling of the feelings I have about feeling like I'm failing. And it's just a constant, a constant pattern repetition. But welcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, welcome to motherhood. Here's the complimentary slap in the face and the glass of wine to go with it. Like, yes, yes. You are not alone. And yeah, it's so much harder than yes. we anticipated. What did, yeah. what did you think motherhood was going to be like? Did you have any expectations? Oh my goodness. Yes. I, uh, what did I think motherhood was going to be like? I thought that motherhood was going to be like this experience to, or this opportunity to like shape the experience that my kids had Mm. when the reality is that it's about holding a safe space for them to take shape. And so it was like, I didn't realize how much attachment I had to like the way that they quote unquote turned out being a reflection of me Mm-hmm. until I was in it and had to kind of unpack that. And so that was such a like that really rocked me. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a powerful realization. Huge. Like and one that I'm still consistently unpacking. Um yeah. and the other thing that it was like how to when I was heading into becoming a mom, like I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. And having watched my sister have kids and my really close cousins have kids and kind of see how motherhood impacted them, I went into it with this awareness of I don't want to lose myself to it. Like I saw that possibility. I saw it play out um, and I didn't want that to happen. And in spite of that, it happened anyway. And it was this interesting um yeah, slap in the face of being like, oh, I thought I knew to expect the unexpected, but it still rocked me to my core. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, there was no preparing for what it actually was. And now the only thing that I know is that there's also no preparing for what's coming. So that's comforting, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (sighs) So not only do you have to like unlearn 
all the expectations, but you have to then sit with the idea that you have no expectations. Like, what? Yeah. And just, yeah. And just knowing that, like, not only do you not have any control, but you just have no actual ability to predict what's going to be coming next. So even, you know, with the way that having kids impacted the actual, you know, structure of my life, like my my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my work, my relationship with my friends, like all of that kind of came crashing down postpartum. I did the work to build the support systems that I needed to be to, to show up as my whole self again. And then unpredictably, we have this Panzerati life come and knock us off our feet. And all of a sudden, those support systems got knocked down. And I was like, yes. well, shit. Like... <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. I like I've known the feeling of drowning and have like managed to get my head above the waves again. But like, I didn't think I'd be going under again this quickly. Hello. Right. Yeah. 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 All of us together. Yeah. (laughs) So expect the unexpected. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a good, definitely a good lesson that we all like the whole acceptance piece of, yeah, not having been able to control their experience and how we're showing up and like all the things that we say we're never going to do, we end up doing. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. what did, what did really early, early motherhood look like for you? So very early motherhood, I had a pretty unremarkable pregnancy, like delivery and all things considered postpartum with my first, mm-hmm. um, he was definitely a really challenging baby. Um, and again, I don't think that I quite realized that in the moment. Like, I'd gone into it thinking, like, I'm not going to be the person, I'm not going to be the mom who doesn't let anybody hold my kids or, like, isn't okay with, like, them crying. But then he actually came into the world and I was like, oh, my goodness, you cry with everybody except for me and your dad. And, like, mm-hmm. in a way that it's, like, people would be like, oh, I'm okay with crying. And after a while, you'd see the alarm start. They're like, is he okay? And I'm just like... I don't know. So so I had that experience of like <laughs> that really sensitive kid already. Uh-huh. Um, you know, sleep was hard, all of that. And it wasn't until he was like approaching the year mark that the toll of like the high demands baby phase really started to express. Um, and I started to realize that like I needed to be working to feel like myself again. So mm. Within that first year, I had come to that realization that, like, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. This is different than I expected. It's starting to take its toll. I need to do things differently. And so we reevaluated our home structure to to facilitate that. Um, Did you have any guilt with that decision? I honestly, I didn't really. Because my husband is an incredibly hands-on dad. Like, from the beginning, he was, like, getting up at four in the morning, like, putting on the baby wrap, going for the walks. Like, he had no issue with the crying. Um, I I didn't question that he was, like, as equipped to take care of our kid at home. And, like, and I recognized that when I went into work, because I worked as a massage therapist for eight years. And so when I got to leave the house go into the workplace, like, help somebody feel better, get the feedback of, like, thank you, you, like, <laughs> did something that changed my day. Um, yes. Then then I recognized that I came home, and, and then I was a better mom. Then, like, I wasn't as depleted, and I was more capable of dealing with the fact that he cried more than I expected and needed to be held. And 
Um, so I recognized that work filled my cup. So that didn't create the the sense of guilt at that time. But then when you fast forward to after I had had my second kid, then my capacity was stretched so much more. My resilience was so much lower that then when I had to start to grapple with those senses of like, of where I'm working, where I'm getting my sense of worth, how I'm in contribution, like then it did hit me a lot harder. And I did start to feel really guilty about like, why do I not, why do I not like being home with my kids? Like all I ever wanted was this. Mm-hmm. Why am I so unhappy with it? Mm. So two's a lot. Yeah, it's I thought that having two kids would be twice as hard, but it is like exponentially harder. It is. It just <laughs> again, who saw that coming? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's elements where it was easier in terms of like I knew that phases would pass, but it was also harder because you're just you're so much more depleted. Mhm. Yeah, so, yours are relatively close in age, right within 2 years. Yeah, they're like just 2 years and a month apart. Or whatever. Okay. So I missed I missed the like hashtag two under two, mm-hmm. but uh, but within that window. Yeah. And how was your second baby? He was different. He could be put down a lot more, but he had like night terrors from a really mm-hmm. young age, which was like it's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, and like he had a lip tie and a tongue tie and yeah, like theoretically, I want to say that he was an easier baby in some ways. But again, like the experience was harder. And as he's gotten older, he got to be more challenging as his feelings got bigger and his expression got greater. Um, He asserts himself now in a much more challenging way than my eldest. Mm -hmm. Every family has one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting to like see parts of yourself in your kids and Uh to see parts of like the dad in there and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, you are an interesting cocktail of personality. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Those are choice words. I'm saying different ones in my head. (laughs) I would love to see like the DNA just like laid out of like what every single idiosyncrasy came from either mom or dad and like how that all played out so that you can just like see it on paper because it's just it's fascinating how they take on these aspects of us that are like incarnate now (laughs) yes and it's like it's so familiar in some ways and so foreign in other ways and Uh it's such a delicate balance of like okay I'm approaching you with like the best knowledge that I know of how to deal with myself the best knowledge of how I know Mm -hmm. to deal with your dad but again also recognizing that like you are just an entirely new expression and some of that might not work at all. Right. And now what? Yes. <laughs> and now what? <laughs> yeah. Because you can you can read books and things, but it doesn't specify what to do in this circumstance with this personality type with at this age with this background. Like it's every kid is so individual. Yeah. That's yeah. And I think like to come back to the question of, you know, did I feel, you know, you were asking, did I feel guilt about going back to work? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like to look at the general mom guilt, like what I find I struggle with more is the amount of weight and permanence that I place on the decisions in the moment and how much I make them mean in the long term. And I think yeah. that's part of what like 
when things get really hard, that's part of where I will start to lose my perspective a little bit. Yep. Um, and again, get like swept away in that riptide of emotion and meta feelings and yes. yeah. And that's that, that's really the side of parenting that I came to realize once I became a parent because what I knew all of the child development background. I had expertise with working with kids in classrooms, in home visiting settings. Like I knew kids in and out. But then once I had my own, I realized the relationship component of how complex this back and forth is and how much my thoughts mm-hmm. about per- and how I perceive their behavior create this whole story of meaning behind what value, like what meaning I take from this interaction and how it determines the next interaction and how it determines how they're going to turn out in five years. And it determines my worth and it determines my identity and it determines all these things that are wrapped up in one single little discipline moment. And Mm -hmm. it's so complicated and convoluted. That's one of the main ways that I work with my one-on-one clients now through parent coaching is to help them see and differentiate and completely unlearn and reframe these ways that we're just perceiving these moments because it is really, really powerful if we don't realize the story that we're telling ourselves to add context. And it really is driven by our instincts of how we were parented. We are like interpreting things as our parents interpreted them. And then Mm -hmm. when our partner grew up with totally different expectations and reactions, and we're trying to meld those to create some sort of united front in real time while Mm -hmm. trying to figure this all out and like mastering emotion regulation we never learned. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of (laughs) hard. It's kind of a lot. And like, and sometimes I think like, yeah, the relational skill component of parenting, I was so ill prepared for. And then once I started to dive into it, just the layers of it between like, yeah, once you acknowledge that you're building a relationship with another human being, but then you really have to start to dig into like, but what's the power dynamic that's here at play? And how Mm -hmm. do those subconscious stories that I'm bringing into it influence, again, like my attachment in the moment? And it's like, Again, because I believe that these are skills that we aren't taught, like I I often look at how I learn my skills as a parent to the way that I learned my skills as a massage therapist. So yeah, we had kind of three components to our practical learning, and it started with theory. So first, you have to learn the theory of how things work when they're operating well, and then when they're not operating well. And then you would have mm. the lab component where you're in a group, a, a like a safe, closed setting where you're working with each other to learn. And then Mm -hmm. you would go into the actual clinical experience working with the public, with the support of your teacher, before you end up going through all the testing and then actually getting out into practice. But it's like you have to have those layers to learn those skills. And in parenting, it's like you maybe get the theory. Maybe. Maybe. And like maybe if you babysit or nanny a lot or like have, you know, Mm -hmm. close kids in your life that you take care of, then maybe you get that lab experience. Right. But then you kind of just get thrown right into the real life clinical experience. And that's just it. That's just it. Yeah. No pressure. There's no, (laughs) there's no licensing. (laughs) There's no one checking in on your continuing education. There's like, no, (laughs) good luck. Right. Yeah. We're just going to make sure the car seat's installed and you're good to go. <laughs> I know. I like I like to joke that like that's when I really started to mistrust the healthcare system is when they let me leave the hospital with my kid. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Have you seen me try to feed myself regularly? Like, yes. come on. 
I am just now beginning to adult. Yeah, this is not. Barely. I am a baby adult. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yet we expect ourselves to basically be functioning at like a PhD level of expertise and like never mess up. And never have any moments that we regret or didn't know how to handle. And that's just preposterous at that point. 100%. 100%. So, yeah. So it's definitely, in spite of all of that, it's like parenting has has definitely given me that lens of compassion for that, like, learner's mindset. When it's like when I find myself deconstructing these, you know, concepts for my kids so that they can understand, it's like – and I didn't get this instruction when I was your age. So, like, mm-hmm. my four-year-old brain is also learning how totally. to ride out the emotional storm until the logical, rational thought can kick in. And, yep. like, how can I do that without causing harm to myself or others? Yep. <laughs> we are growing up right along with them. Exactly. We really are. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's where it's, like, every time that we hit those, like, really triggering moments, it's, like, to be able to have the space to process that, unpack it, and say, how is this not about you? How is this about me? Because I, mm. in the same way that, you know, the I talk about self-care a lot, we often use the cliche that, like, you can't pour from an empty cup. But it's, like, you can't just teach people how to fill their own cup. You have to model it. Mm. And, like, we can't model this type of work to our kids unless we actually know how to do it ourselves right yeah you can't teach something you haven't mastered no yeah no and 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 kids are kids are expert bullshit spotters so like totally my and that's like almost the worst part of this whole thing sometimes my kids will look at me it's like mommy you did not use your words to express your feelings and when you yelled i was scared and i was just like thank you for being brave and telling me that you were right (laughs) like yep (laughs) <laughs> that's some good verbal processing though on their point <laughs> seriously when it happens i'm just like okay this is the sign that i have to cling to right now not the yes. moment where i yelled this is the sign but that like i'm not yes that i'm not completely fucking it up no not this time <laughs> yet yet <laughs> so what did that reckoning look like for you like when in your parenting journey did you realize like this is a whole lot more than i thought it was and then how did you come to those conclusions I think that I often reference what I call like the loving mental breakdown of 2018 which Mm -hmm. was about like three years ago almost exactly to this pocket of time um so my youngest was just shy of turning one and again like my background is in like stress management, healthcare, self-care. Like I wasn't unaware of the fact that I wasn't coping well mm-hmm. as, you know, as I was getting farther down the path of motherhood. And I was very much like in open conversations with my doctor about what was going on. Um, you know, we were trying to pull all the lifestyle uh, levers to like make the situation better. And and it ended up getting to the point that, like, I had to accept that I had to start taking medication for a while. And that was a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around. And it kind of really brought this reckoning of, like, I, on some level, genuinely thought that this whole motherhood thing was just, like, it just needed a different approach. And that, like, I was going to be able to, like, 
come in with my awareness and what I knew and like actually do it really well and just like, like crack the code. Yeah. And just like be able to manage it on my own. And and that kind of like, you know, you study hubris for how many years in in school to get to that point of recognizing like that's what ends up being. So yeah, there's something in there that it was like for me to to actually have to admit like I'm not coping well. It's starting to express like if you ignore your stress and your like mental your body's uh, attempts to get your attention to say that your mental and emotional well-being isn't handled. Like if you ignore that, it does start to express physically. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting to the point that, you know, I um, I had started the medication, but like I wasn't tolerating it well. I was like losing weight. I wasn't sleeping. My mood was like I was having rage episodes. Um, and I. Uh, Yeah. And it got to the point that it was just like, I actually have to remove myself from all of these stressors to be able to dedicate the time to heal because I would go to the doctor and be like, these are my symptoms. It's probably just stress. It's probably just stress. And he was like, you have to stop saying just stress as if unmanaged stress doesn't kill people. And it was this moment of being like, And then I got told it was like, you need to go down to your car and you need to call your people. Like, do you have a good relationship with your mom? Call your mom. What about your mother-in-law? Call your mother-in-law. And I had to like fly people in to come help. And I had to, like, I went and house sat at a friend's place for a week to just get the time to sleep, to take care of myself, to meet my basic needs so that I could come to a level that I could even face how poorly I'd been managing. Mm. And a lot of that came with almost having to, because part of what really gets to us is that mental load, right? All the organizing, the managing, the details, the whatever. And I had to almost like walk away from the mess and be like, I'm not capable of like sorting out the childcare, of dealing with the details, of like looking after everybody. I just actually have to step away and let people take care of it. Yeah. I bet that was hard to do. It was so hard. So, I mean, I guess really I should have, if you want to talk about feeling like a failure in motherhood, it's like to feel like you have to abandon your babies and walk away to go lick your wounds. (laughs) Like, but that's what it was. It was that sense of like animalistic retreat that it's like my fight or flight response is being engaged so consistently. Yeah. That like I'm reacting at a 10 out of 10 to every potential trigger and that's mm-hmm. coming at the cost of my kids like that's that's mm-hmm. when my kids they're scared of me when yeah, i'm reacting that poorly okay. it's right. not so yeah so that was that was my reckoning was that moment of being like i'm doing more damage trying to stay afloat here mm-hmm. than if i just like let go get myself centered mm-hmm. and come back to it so what was those next steps like so it again it started with uh like calling people and just saying like i need help so and and i i i honestly don't remember if it was that people flew out to help first or if i got away first like i don't remember which order that went in mm-hmm. but uh but yeah that first step was creating that space where i could step away from being fully responsible for the kids so that I could, um, yeah, get enough sleep, 
make sure I was eating food, and so that I could start doing those things like journaling to process and figure out exactly what was underneath all of these high-intensity feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I could get to the space that I could name what those needs were, um, then I could start to look at, as I incorporate back into my everyday life, how can I build that toolkit of self-care into it so that I can keep existing? Yeah. Um, so it was almost that like, yeah, recognizing that I had to step away to get the perspective to look at things from a place of being grounded in myself and then say, now, how can I show up in this life? Because what was do- what was happening wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. And I'm sure that your kids benefited from that deep breath. So much. So much. Because, again, it doesn't always have to be as big as like going to stay at a friend's place for a week or whatever. Um, but that was what, what allowed me to articulate the fact that like having pockets away from the sensory stimulus is really important for me to be able to decompress. And so then it looked like mm-hmm. getting really good quality sound canceling headphones and like mm-hmm. being really intentional, like saying, um, you know, if I start to seem like, so, so once I know that I, what my need is, not only do I do what I can to meet it, but then it's like, I can communicate it to my partner who is ideally my co-conspirator in this, um, mm-hmm. in my wellness. And, uh, yeah, and I can ask for his help. So to say, like, a sign or symptom of me being in not a good place, it looks like this. When this happens, can you suggest that I go for a walk so that I can remove myself from what's going on? Mm-hmm. So if I know the need, then I can find ways to meet it, even in the chaos of everyday life, in whatever yeah. capacity is available there. But without that space, I didn't know how to articulate the need. It was just right. like, it was all just too much. Right. I hear that pretty often where it's like, but I don't even know what I need. Yeah. And so I often say that if you don't know what you need, then that's a sign that you need space to process. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And then and then how we process those feelings to get to the root of our need, like that's an individual thing. For me, that mm-hmm. often looks like writing. It looks like going for walks. It looks like listening to podcasts because if my brain's on a really negative track. Sometimes I need someone else's voice or story to take me out of that judgy place because it's easier to be in a place of compassion for someone else than it is for myself. Totally. Yeah. Which is exactly why I'm trying to like showcase the stories here that do really, really create the space to be able to normalize your own feelings when you hear them from someone else and you can say me too. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so what does that word self-care really mean? So (laughs) first of all, like when I talk about self-care, I I think that self-care and healthy boundaries go hand in hand. Like you can't have one without the other. Okay. But but for me, self-care, it isn't necessarily just about the things that you do. It's about the space that you claim to process those thoughts, those feelings, and be really honest about what you need. And that's the actual like being able to hold the space for that honesty within yourself is actually the self-care piece. Mm. And then what you do with it is is part of that routine, that ritual, however you you create that that arsenal um, to support you. But okay. sometimes it can, if if it feels like self-care is a thing that we have to do, like go get a massage, go for a manicure, like get a manicure, like a thing that we have to do, 
then it can feel impossible and inaccessible, especially when we're already dealing with so much time scarcity and so much urgency of other people's needs. Mm-hmm. But when I can reframe self-care of just saying like, whatever it is that I do to create space to listen to myself so that I can name my needs, that is the mm-hmm. self-care piece. Okay. That seems that seems doable. And that it should be. <laughs> mm-hmm. It should be. <laughs> like one of my one of my biggest frustrations is again when self-care feels inaccessible. Uh-huh. You know? So yeah, because uh-huh. on, like honestly, sometimes when you just have the safe space to process and name the thing, you don't even always have to do something about it. Right. Right. So we often feel like if we have to do something about it then that feels really hard. And that's maybe more of that like emotional and mental tending piece versus like, Mm -hmm. as far as physical self-care, like you do have to like physically eat, you have to take showers, you have to move your body. Um, But when it comes to meeting those emotional and mental needs, then it's just about that space to go inward. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really kind of like likened to just the idea of feeling heard. Because even when we have you know, deep desires or things that we want to communicate and they can't even always happen. Just that idea of meeting the need of feeling heard can feel just as satisfying in some cases and same with our kids. So Mm -hmm. if that idea of just being able to kind of hear out our mind or our body and what it's asking for and being able to label it, then that's, that's like almost all of it in itself, right? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. Yeah. And this was actually something that I really had a hard time with when I first started going to therapy and counseling when like I really wanted to like problem solve and like hear the how of what I could do differently to feel better and to make things better. Mm -hmm. And instead, what I was met with was this like, it sounds like you're very resourceful and you're doing absolutely everything that's available. And it's still really hard. And that's really Mm -hmm. hard. And and again, I find mm-hmm. that that sentiment um, repeated now that we're heading into year two of the pandemic, where it's like there's so many things that are impacting our ability to take care of ourselves, to show up as our best selves. And sometimes all that's available to us is honesty and being able to admit I'm doing my best. It still doesn't feel like enough. But just Mm -hmm. acknowledging the normalness, the shared experience in that is sometimes enough Mm -hmm. to make us feel better. Yeah, it really I think the best moments of the pandemic have been in the moments where I really have felt so normal in my own experience, even if it hasn't changed it or solved any problems whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But just when you have those moments of being like of we're all in this together, genuinely, like we're in the same shitty circumstances, like there is just that sense of camaraderie between like we all are this out of control of, about our circumstances right now. And I was actually in like a group that is out of the UK. And so I'd have all of these weekly calls where it really was just kind of comforting to know that mm-hmm. they were experiencing the same type of isolation and lockdowns that we were like, okay, yeah. so we're not like, yeah, even, even if it didn't get me out of the house any more than it would have, it still made me feel better. And so I can totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it kind of, for me, it helps to turn off that sense of like that sense of shame or making myself like bad or wrong for the fact that I'm struggling, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. to, to also be able to acknowledge that like you can be struggling and still like quote unquote be okay. Like, 
Like the the hardness is a really normal part of the experience. And that's that's the other part of my um my spiel on self-care is that self-care isn't just about feeling good. It's about feeling whole. And that means mm-hmm. creating the space for all of the complexity and the nuance and the depth of emotion that we feel. Ooh, that's hard. We just want to feel happy. <laughs> we do want to feel happy. And again, we've been taught that feeling happy is the goal, but feeling happy yeah. isn't the point. Feeling connected is the point. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We that's need what that fills our cups. Yes. Because anytime we don't feel happy, we feel wrong. And yeah. anything that's hard feels like it shouldn't be. And yeah, when that's not the case and we can accept the reality of the circumstances and manage our expectations accordingly, then we have a lot less reason to build resentment or to just feel so stuck or frustrated and be able to move forward in a way that feels empowering rather than feeling disempowered by just being helpless or a yeah. victim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if we, if we don't have, again, like the tools and the skills to lean into those feelings of discomfort and sit with what they're trying to tell us, then we're going to miss out on what there is to be learned there. Um, And so again, just being aware of the fact that we don't naturally have comfort with discomfort, to be aware of the fact that when you are facing these big, hard feelings, it's normal for your stress response to engage, for you to get defensive, for you to do what you can to protect yourself from what's in that big feeling. Mm. And again, the work isn't to jump away from the hardness of it to bypass to happy. The goal is to learn how can I lean into this so that I can grow, so that I can learn, so that I can do better. And again, knowing that the more that we can create that safe space for that kind of exploration and discovery in ourselves, the more capacity we're going to have to hold that for our kids as they learn and they realize that the world isn't all sunshine and rainbows. And again, it's not our job to keep them safe from all hurt and harm because that's inevitable. Yeah. It, it is our job to equip them with the tools and resources to navigate the waves that come. Yeah. That is so important to remember. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And again, that's part of where it's like, any time that those feelings of guilt creep up around doing what it takes to put myself first to fill my cup, um, I just come back and remember that I I cannot teach my kids. I can only model. Yep. So there's no yeah. reason to feel like you're you're a bad parent when you take care of yourself. Yes. Yes, because again, like if you paint done, if the other option is to continue pouring from an emptying cup, like what happens when you get to the bottom of the cup? It's not just that it stops, it's that you start pouring resentment, you know? And when your defense mechanisms aren't managed, then you start to lash out. And then again, you do damage to your kids. Mm-hmm. So it's really the inverse. <laughs> it, it's exactly, yeah, it, it's, yes, yeah. it, it's, it's such a... Uh, yeah, counterintuitive, but also makes so much sense. So, right. yeah, just like that, that leaning into discomfort. Yeah. So what what in the past few months of the pandemic has been ways that you are intentionally working to take care of yourself or fill up your cup? I started gardening in the last mm-hmm. few months. 
Um, I've found that when it comes to tending to my mental well-being, um, it feels really good to have a sense of accomplishment. And so in a time where I feel so constrained to the four walls of our house, where like the laundry's never done, the dishes are never done, there's never enough snacks, people are always refusing the food that I make. Like it's such an ungratifying yes. experience and like so, so demoralizing. Yeah. So monotonous. And so for me to have the process of like, I've started the flowers, a lot of them from seed. And so to see them coming to life or like if friends have extra plants, they're dropping them off and and just like really envisioning the flowers and, and I'm going to be doing cut flower bouquets this summer. Like that mm-hmm. has been a really important way for me to tend to myself. And I start every day with that. So okay. I drop the kids off at like daycare and filling my own cup looks like starting with gardening and going for a walk. Um, and I've had to make that like, no matter how much my the voice in my head is like, oh, but client work, but housework, but all of these other things. It's like, I cannot mm-hmm. do those other things unless I'm grounded first. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been one thing for my mental tending. And then as far as my emotional um, well-being, this is not just the last few months, but this is a mainstay is um, I'm a big proponent for singing in the car at obnoxious volumes. Love it. <laughs> because it's like um, art is, I believe that art is created for us to feel together. And right now, music is the easiest way for me to access that. So I put on songs that mean a lot to me and I just like rage sing all the deep breaths, all of the emotional expression. And then yeah. any like anger that I'm feeling that I can't necessarily do something about, um, I get an outlet to express it. So it's about creating, again, those safe containers to meet the need of unexpressed emotion so that I'm not carrying it around with me all the time. Um, Yeah, so so those are are probably honestly the biggest things is like making time for that singing and like play um, Mm -hmm. and then having that gardening, getting my hands in the earth, having a sense of accomplishment and bringing something to life that doesn't yell at me. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't refuse your food. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Doesn't say, I hate you. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Great. Yes. We need those moments. Yes. It's important. (laughs) It's important. So, no, yeah. I lo- those are very tangible examples. I love that, and it and it feels like that that if that's really works for you, then that's something that's accessible. It's an it's a good example of how you're just allowing that space to work through the highs and the lows in ways that resonate with you. Yeah, yeah, and and for me again, it's about being being cognizant of why it's not just about the task of gardening, but mm-hmm. why it's about that like those meeting those deeper needs of like getting off of social media and reducing my stimulus, like reminding myself that life is cyclical, like getting fresh air. It It's really an amalgamation of all these things that are good for me and packed into one activity that is aligned for who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question for other people to lean into is like, what is that activity for me? Yeah. Yeah. And you may have to to experiment a little bit, right? And that's where like leading with curiosity is so important because um, not everything is about ruling it in. Sometimes it's about ruling it out and then Mm. it doesn't make you a flake. It makes you someone who is open to new experiences and that's great. 
Mm. So if you buy a bike and you go on some bike rides with your kids and end up a month later hating it. <laughs> yes. At least you, you tried something new. Exactly. Right. And now you know. Right. Like <laughs> the expression, well, now I know, has made it into my vernacular on the regular. Yeah. And it really does come down to that awareness. I mean, that's really what we're striving for, right? Yeah. It's like figuring figuring out how we tick in a way that allows us to maximize our ability to show up for others, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have something to s- serve with. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a win. That's a mm-hmm. win. 100%. So yeah. is there anything else that you, like, if given the minute to step on the soapbox and share, like, your heart that you feel like moms need to hear, what would that be? What I often want moms to know, and this was like one of my biggest learnings through my mom experience, was um, wrapping your head around both things can be true when it comes Mm -hmm. to your feelings and how um, expanding your emotional capacity, like being able to create space for conflicting feelings existing simultaneously, like that is such a battle, but is mm-hmm. there's so much freedom on the other side of it. And yeah, so we were not taught that. That is a no concept. Mm-hmm. We weren't taught that. And so like I remember times in early motherhood, like sitting on like the kitchen floor, just like crying because of the grief and the loneliness. And then having my baby crawl up into my lap and put his hand on my cheek and like forehead against forehead. And all of a sudden, like the beauty and the joy was also overwhelming, but it didn't minimize the fact that I still felt the grief and loss. And so to be able to sit with and accept that both of those things were true, they didn't cancel each other out. They didn't mean anything about me. They were Mm -hmm. just shedding light on the transformation that was at play. Yes. Oh, that is powerful. It And it's still like, yeah, consistently also one of my mantras. Like, well, now you know, and both things can be true. All things can be true. Yeah. Oh, we are so complex. Yes. <laughs> so much more complex than we give ourselves credit Yes. For. <laughs> oh, I saw this great quote going around, and it's like, we don't need more happiness. We need more capacity for the complexity and nuance that makes up the human experience. Oh, amen. I'll have to send you the actual quote because I'm paraphrasing, but... Okay. Yeah, send it to me and I can post it with this episode. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And then we can find even more joy from finding that complexity. Exactly. Because that was was another one of those, like, with that both things can be true. And, like, I believe that, um, you know, emotions and feelings exist on either side of the spectrum. And so in those moments that I do find myself getting lost in the depths of the grief, reminding myself that because I can feel this much grief, it means that that much joy is also accessible to me in my life. I'm just not in it right in this moment. Mm -hmm. But just knowing that every time that you are stretched, the lows get lower, the highs get higher. Ooh, it's so true. We had yeah. no idea the capacity we have for the highs of of loving our kids and expanding our heart like times a million. So it's mm-hmm. it is true. It's the inverse as well. So yep, all the yeah. feelings get bigger. You just held in grace, grace for ourselves. Yes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I love that. So tell tell us more about what you do now and how moms can connect with you. Yeah. So right now I spend my days working as a writer and a self-care coach. So the in that capacity, I spend a lot of time writing about 
practicing sustainable self-care, about setting healthy boundaries, and about creating the space to process big feelings. Um, I send out a newsletter that goes out every other Friday called The Friday Feels. And you can sign up by going to bit.ly slash the Friday feels. So bit.ly slash the Friday feels. Um, and then for people who want to work directly with me, I run small group coaching sessions. It, the program's called Staying Alive. And it is <laughs> four weeks in a digital life raft with three other humans who are just trying to get through the day. Um, and it's about really creating that safe space for that emotional processing um, and chance to just work through the struggles in life and celebrate the goodness as it shows up. Um, yeah. And Very you can cool. learn more about more, learn more about that at my website at justinesones.com. Which I love your website, by the way, yeah, like the messaging <laughs> Is just, Thank you. I was just like, you, this is, you are my people. I could just tell. Oh, <laughs> I love when people tell me that. That makes me so happy. So happy. It's, it's so hard to like get dialed in. I mean, like I know like you're a writer clearly because like I have just struggled with that messaging and copy my whole business life. So I totally respect, respect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. It takes, it took a long time to get there. Yeah. No, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, then the last question that I ask every guest that comes on is, how are you the mom that your kids need? Uh, I uh, So I want to preface this with saying that, like, before I had kids, I always thought that I would have girls. Based on, like, mm. my relationship with, like, my mom and whatever, I just really saw that for myself. Um, and I have two boys. And I have two boys who have very big feelings. And so what makes me the best mom for them is the fact that I have done so much work to figure out how to hold that space for my feelings um, that I think that it creates a really good container for them to navigate that. And and I think that's specifically important for little boys because um, there's a lot of cultural societal conditioning that makes us wrong for having feelings. Like, yes, oh, women, yeah. but but also it's very hard for boys to have feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I just think that I've done a lot of work to be an advocate for them in how they express themselves um, from that place of saying, like, it's it's okay for you to have feelings. It's good for you to have feelings. And this is how we don't harm our, or harm people with our feelings. Right. Which is something that, like, we see the effect um yeah. and we can see the effects of unmanaged feelings and of toxic expression in society so oh yeah so for me recognizing that the things that i thought i would bring to parenting girls is now actually the superpower that i'm bringing to parenting my currently boys until they tell me otherwise <laughs> Um, I love that. Yeah. And so, and yeah, and so I just have a lot of hope for the growth that can come of that, even though it was a really hard journey for me to get here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, and that does make it your superpower because what, what we have the most potential and capacity to grow in are the ways that we live out loud are lessons that our kids can learn. So that's yes. clearly how they are benefiting from learning from you and they're so lucky to have a mom that's working so hard. Oh, I am so lucky that they are as patient with me as they are. <laughs> <laughs>
It has to go both ways sometimes. Yes. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Again, you model and they model it back to us. And sometimes that's the most infuriating part. They do something. It's like, oh, that's what I'm showing you. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's a mirror. Yep. That's a mirror. Well, you came through. You came through on the honesty. Yeah. Uh, oh, good. So, met so many good nuggets to to share and encourage uh, us. And and I really, really appreciate your your time and your expertise in sharing your story because it's so relatable. And I think such a cornerstone of importance for showing up as the parent we want to be um, is taking care of ourselves. So. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for holding the space too. I've listened to so many episodes and it's just the way that you're able to bring out those stories and facilitate that connection is is really a gift. So thank you for all that you do in this space too. Oh, thank you. That's that's such a high compliment. I appreciate that. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll have to stay in touch. Yes, awesome. Thank you. I know you're so glad that you stayed until the end because that was so wise and so applicable to life right now in this like still pandemic situation. So definitely go sign up for the Friday Feels. Go check out Staying Alive, her coaching. And uh, this really was only the tip of the iceberg. So after we got done recording, she shared with me that she has four R's in the way that she uh, teaches self-care and this retreat part that she dove into was really just step one. So there's so much work to be done in this area and I know how interlinked it is with your sanity and your ability to parent well. So I really encourage you to use this reflection of her story and really think about what parts of it are revealing to you, the places that need attention and use that as information as evidence and as red flags to know what to do next and what's the next right thing for you. So if it is self-care coaching, go check out Justine. If it is having more parenting tools and being able to manage big emotions from your kids in a way that makes you feel proud of your parenting, then I'm your girl. Reach out. So I am so excited that you are here. Let me know on Instagram. Say hi and tell me that you listened to this episode. I love to know that it's not just random numbers of people, yet you have uh, lives and kids and stories and tell me about them. Um, Let's connect on Instagram. I'm at parent underscore wholeheartedly. And if you haven't yet, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this because that is how other moms find the show. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on.